Amen. How wonderful Jesus is. We're going to read about him this morning as we continue on looking and uh, doing our study in the book of Luke. If you remember a few weeks ago, Jeff introduced this to us under the theme that we have for the fall, living generously but also living compassionately. We've added that word uh, at the end of the summer and through the fall, living generously and living compassionately. And Jeff introduced there in Luke chapter 4 about how Jesus uh, picked up the scripture and he applied as prophecy to himself about God was sending someone to open the eyes of the blind and proclaim a, a release to the captives and all of this great uh, good news and, and all of the, uh, the compassion and the heart of God that Jesus was going to reveal to everyone. Then if you remember also, uh, Jeff talked about in chapter 11 about that, like that you're either gathering or scattering with him and you got to be on the stronger man side. There is a strong man out there, but there's a stronger man, and that's Jesus himself. And then, of course, last week in, uh, in uh, Luke chapter uh, 13, Jeff looked at a woman who had been suffering for 18 years with, with terrible distress. Jesus had compassion on her, healed her, and gave the contrast with the religious leaders who were there that were more nitpicking about how it was done, when it was done, instead of having great compassion, you know, for her. We're thankful this morning that we serve a compassionate and a loving God. We're thankful that Jesus finished his work on the cross and our sins are forgiven and we don't have to dredge them up. And yet as we keep reading the goal in the scriptures as we follow Jesus is not just to stand and admire him but to become more and more like him with his fullness by his spirit dwelling in us. Let's open up to Luke chapter 13 and we're going to begin right at chapter 1 in what's leading up to what Jeff preached about last Sunday. So we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 13 today and uh, I'm going to give you the three points ahead of time and then we'll come back to it. And you'll see these three things and these three themes play out as we go through chapter 13. On this point of compassion, if you're opening there now out of Luke chapter uh, 13, you'll see at the very end of the chapter, there's this paragraph where Jesus shows his great love and compassion, and he's looking over Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have longed just to gather you to me like a, a mother hen with her little babies, but you would have nothing of it. And he, he actually was hurting, and in Matthew chapter 9, as Matthew shares that account, it says that Jesus was filled with the word compassion when he saw the crowds. It's great to know through Christ that's the God that we serve and that's the God who continues to look and seek after us. But as we read this uh, uh uh, chapter or several ex uh, excerpts from it. Now, the three things I'd like you to consider. Number one, life is fragile. Take a look at the man in the mirror and make a change. That's point number one. Point number two, Few will be saved, many will weep. That's not going to be your favorite point of the sermon, but it'll be authentic and exactly what Jesus taught. And then number three, God is the God of the second, third, and fourth chances. Amen. 
We'll see these playing out as we read through Luke chapter 13. Let's read together, beginning of verse 1. You ready? Got your Bible? If you don't have one, uh, look on with a neighbor, a friend, either uh, a uh, paper Bible, maybe it's an electronic version, but let's read along the Word of God. That's where the power is, okay? Jesus is going to be making some comments about current events. He's going to be making comments about what's going on locally and then also what's happened in the region and some people will come up to him and they're going to remind him about something that's very common not to everyone a tragedy that has happened among them beginning in verse 1 now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices that is a really horrid morbid gross picture and Pilate was a very you know uh, you know unkind uh, despot in ruling in that that part of the world and and they, they recount this this is something that has been really terrible and has impacted all of them and Jesus answered do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way I tell you no but unless you repent, it's the word metanoia, unless you change, you too will all perish. Are those 18 who died down the road in the tower of Siloam when it fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in, in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you change, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in the vineyard. And he went out to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? It's very reminiscent of something Jesus has already taught when he was talking about salt. When it loses its saltiness, what good is it except to be thrown away and trampled underfoot? Recounted both in Matthew and in Luke's gospel. He said, why should it use up this soil? Cut it down. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it and if it, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. Jesus could have responded in a lot of different ways. When these people came up and said, Jesus, don't, don't, you, don't, don't, don't you realize what happened? How tragic that was, how horrible this act was where, where Pilate actually mixed in the sacrifice, sacrificing to our God the, uh, the blood of these Galileans and wow, what, what do you think? And he obviously could have launched into some discussion on how evil the Roman government was. He could have gone into a, a theological, philosophical discussion about why does God allow bad things to happen to good people. These are all things that we think about. These are all relevant topics, but that is 100% not where Jesus chose to go. 
Instead, he decided to say, take a look at the man in the mirror. You guys, we need to look at ourselves. Life is fragile. Death and judgment are not that far away. Life shows, it, it, uh, it shows us all that it's fragile and we must be right with God. That may not have been what their appetite was, was looking for, but it was certainly what Jesus thought was important. You know, we live in a very unusual time in history. At any given moment, we can see all of the bad things that are going on in the world. I mean, you see it instantaneously if somebody is killed or an act of terrorism happens or a natural disaster happens. You can see it instantaneously. You may even get a notification while we're in this, uh, in this service about something bad that's happened in the community, maybe in your neighborhood, certainly in our country. And there never really has been a time like that in the whole history of the world. I mean, we would be in a very different situation if we lived 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 200 years ago. 50 years ago, but now we sort of get exposed to everything that's going on. And it does illustrate the point where Jesus said in the last days there will be an increasing, accelerating time of stress that comes in our life. And so we think about this kind of stuff maybe even more than other people in other generations, you know, have done. And uh, when tragedy comes, the question always comes up. Whether it's a tragedy right here among us, you know, the death unexpectedly of a loved one, of some traumatic event that we're experiencing through natural causes or through uh, you know through terrorism or whatever you know hey why does God allow this ha to happen you know Jesus is actually continuing a theme that he's been talking about for uh, for a couple of chapters now where he's been where he's been introducing this idea of life and death and how fragile it is and how quickly it can be gone you remember in Luke chapter 12 where he talks about the uh, the rich fool Okay, he was going about his life, you know, having a good time. Things are going pretty well for him. And bam, you know, he dies and he's standing before God with the judgment. And then he also tells this, uh, uh, th th this story about, hey, this guy who was called on the carpet and, uh, and, and, and owed a debt. And he said, listen, if you know you owe this and if you know you're guilty, you get over there to that magistrate and you negotiate the best deal that you can because things are imminent. And he's been hitting on this point, and then of course here, it comes down in a very, very strong way. And his point is, hey listen, we're all going to die. Even the idea of the fig tree, hey, you got a certain amount of time, right? We, you, you, you figured that out, that you have a shelf life. And you don't know exactly what it is, but we're just, honestly, we're here for a, a brief period of time. I mean, a thousand years from now, you know what you're going to be doing. A hundred years from now, what do you, we'll, we'll be somewhere. Something will be happening, and so uh, we have a wonderful life. And from the book of Ecclesiastes, book of Psalms, all the way through, enjoy your life! But know you will have to give an account for the way you lived. But enjoy it. Embrace it. But understand, it's a hallway. It's just leading somewhere else. You're on the, the, the journey somewhere and get yourself ready for it. And all of you, when you think about the fra how fragile life is and how it can be snuffed out so quickly, whether by natural causes or by evil, just, he says, well, here's what Jesus decides to do. Hey, you guys, you, 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 you. 
unless you change change metanoia you too can perish why Jesus is he's certainly trying to get us think thinking on a deeper broader level do you agree with that that life is fragile do you think it's morbid to think about your demise I mean your death do you think it's morbid yeah a lot of us do I kind of do I know you guys do the um, somebody went to see the uh, Dalai Lama at one point and recounted that uh, the Dalai Lama uh, had, a, had a regular practice in his life to meditate on his death six times a day you want to try that tomorrow I may pass okay but it's good to reflect on it once a day to think about it is this morbid is this weird to kind of think about you know uh, your your death and that we're not gonna be here you know forever among other things it actually affirms life and opportunity around us and it helps us not to take things yeah you know for you know for granted and uh, back, back about 10 years ago I think exactly 10 years ago one of my favorite old-time actors and comedians died his name was George Burns anybody remember George Burns this guy was a riot I mean he's the kind of guy you want to have as your granddad or something you know uh, at least for part of the time and he he's 98 years old and they're doing a tribute for him on his 98th birthday and so he's still doing active comedy you know even up into that uh, up into that age and he got up and he said to everyone after he had this wonderful introduction yes it's nice to be here actually at 98 it's nice to be anywhere <laughs> and that's true but you know what how about at 28 it's nice to be anywhere right 18 it's nice to be anywhere 48 it's nice to be anywhere 58 it's nice to be anywhere absolutely and it's not just religious leaders or philosophers or a comedian here or there that help us remind us of this anybody remember Steve Jobs you remember his pretty infamous now Stanford graduation speech after he was fighting really in the last uh, days of his life you know with cancer here's his quote remembering that I will be dead soon is the most important tool I have ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life oh he's just some religious hellfire preacher no he's not he's a guy's getting some clarity right clarity that we all need desire hopefully we'll have before we get into a last little ebb and flow of our life he went on to say because almost everything all external expectations all pride all fear of embarrassment or failure these things Steve Jobs said just fall away in the face of death leaving only what is truly important hey campus can I ask you what matters most what matters most is that the message you've got this fall as you share your faith on campus tomorrow and each day how about the rest of us how about it young families how about edge what matters most is it actually wise to not just follow Steve Jobs advice but Jesus Christ risen from the dead who says when you consider the how fragile life is and these world events and these local events happening in our life wow ask 
the question, you know, what matters most? And take a look in the man in the mirror and make a change. Repent, Jesus said, change. Don't let that be a word, weird religious word. Repent just means to change. Make, change your friend. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Same word, metanoia, repent. And he, he used it in the sense of being humble and teachable in, in you know, in that way. Let's, uh, let's keep reading, all right? Okay, you got that first point? Life is fragile. Take a look at the man in the mirror. That would be me and you. And make a change. Number two. Few will be saved, many will weep. Ouch. All right, you got to read it if he said it, right? Luke chapter th uh, 13, and let's go to verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. He started out, at least in Luke's gospel, you know, over in Luke chapter 9. He finally reaches Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. It's a journey there. He's on his way. You'll remember even earlier, a, a few verses later rather, someone will come up to Jesus and he's headed to Jerusalem. It's obvious. And he says, you shouldn't go there, Jesus. Herod has got a bounty on your head. He's going to kill you. And remember what Jesus said, go tell that fox. Bring it on. I'm coming to Jerusalem. For this is why I was sent. He's on his way. He's in the very last few weeks of his life. And he is putting out things now that are very, very important for anyone who will follow him, be associated with him, and certainly anybody who will call him Lord. He's laying out some very important things to be able to consider. Someone ask him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved there was clearly something that Jesus was teaching and emphasizing that would bring out this point and he hasn't been bashful about it right it, in Matthew chapter 7 he talked about hey it's a narrow way broad is the path that leads you remember where to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life and uh, he said and it's a hard path to be on and that you have to, to focus and be challenged on it and he went on to say a lot of people are going to say in verse 24 Matthew 7 many people are going to say Lord Lord didn't I do speak in your name and do good deeds in your name and serve the poor in your name and I'm going to say I never knew you apart from me you evildoers you didn't do my word you didn't do my will. This is not a new topic. And again, any of you who are reasonably familiar with the Bible, you, you may not know where that is, but you know, yeah, I remember reading that. Lord, verse 23. Are only a few people going to be saved? Here's what he said. Make every effort. The Greek word agonizomai. Strive. Make every effort. Your translation may say strive. To enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, are going to try to get in and they won't be able. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you're going to stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. That is a chilling statement that you and I never want to hear. Then he will say, 
you will say, hey, well, well we, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. We, we were around you, Jesus. We listened to your sermons. But he will reply, I don't know who you are or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And he goes down to verse 30. Indeed, you know, indeed, there are those who are last are going to be first, and those who are first that will be last. This, uh, you kind of got to remember where we are in the Bible here in the context of Jesus' ministry. Where we are, like on the map in the mall, where are we right now? Jesus has been doing ministry and teaching and loving people and serving and healing people and casting out demons. He's been healing tons of people. You can see it. He, he's had thousands, tens of thousands following him. He's been speaking in a way that people who are a lot of really great, not little 15-minute TED Talks, but some people who heard some major oratory and major lessons you know, in their life say, we have never heard anybody like this, talk like this, act like this, do miracles like this. We just have never seen it. He's, he's turning the world upside down, you know, unlike anything we've ever heard. Uh, but honestly, this is a little, this is kind of like a heartbreaking little portion of scripture. Why, why, why do I say that? Because, you know, by this time, disappointment started to settle in, guys. It's the last year of his ministry. It's just a little bit before his death. Everywhere he goes, he does these miracles. Everywhere he goes, he casts out demons. He's full of compassion. He doesn't, he's not judgmental. He cares for people. The only people he really gets hard on are the arrogant, self-righteous people who are, who are more interested in putting people down instead of getting down and helping them up. But, but there's, some, there, there, there's some challenges, you know, right now. The national leadership basically has rejected him. They've determined he's a heretic. And what he's doing, he's actually doing by the power of Satan. And he's got to be stopped. Even his hometown has rejected him. Some of his own family, his brothers, thinks he's nuts. It's becoming increasingly crystal clear that at this point in Jesus' life, the bloom is off the rose. Those initial messianic exhilarating expectations of the followers of Jesus. He's going to come in and bring back the Davidic reign and, and be king and drive out the Romans. And we're going to have all the good stuff, land of milk and honey, flowing on in, you know. Uh, but his nation will not receive him. It's, it, it's just perfectly summarized by John in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. He came into his own but his own received him not. He was in the world. The world was made through him. But the world knew him not. And after these three years, the disciples look around and they notice, yes, indeed, they are few. Jesus called them the little flock. Even in that chapter, in the chapter before. There are not many of them. They are a remnant. The true believers, the committed disciples, they're very few. Isn't that kind of sad? It's still kind of sad, isn't it? 
Millions and millions and millions of people still listen to Jesus and are impressed with him and maybe go to church and say some prayers. But the ones who are absolutely committed, it's still too few, right? It's a growing number, but it's too few. We're not even growing back at this point. And so in that context comes the question, Lord, are just a few going to be saved are you interested in Jesus's answer no matter how you process it are you interested in how the most influential towering figure in all of human history would answer that question honestly Jesus has not made it any easier for him with statements like Unless you hate your father and mother and brother and sister and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Dang. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, brothers, do what? Pluck it out. Howabunga. Ah. Praise God, he used, means that stuff figuratively and not literally, amen. If you keep reading along, he'll explain it. But he's not making it easy. Don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I came to bring what? A sword. And not a sword that will cut people's heads off, but will divide even families, some who accept him as Lord and are willing, and others who do not. And then, in John chapter 6, some of you know the passage, he's, he's giving again some very challenging and hard teaching. And in chapter 60 of John chapter 6, he says, uh, it says that his disciples, these disciples, the people who were following him consistently said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Do you remember that? Jot it down and then six verses later, the true 666 in the Bible. John 6 verse 66 it says from that time forward many of his disciples no longer went with Jesus the few is getting fewer does that ever affect you guys does it ever affect you like when you look around and it seems like they're really so few. You're not judging, you're not saying, and none of us want to, and none of us have the right to say, you're in, you're out, you're right with God, you're not. We don't know what's going on inside people's hearts, and God knows all the circumstances, right? However, we do have a Bible, right? And we do have something obvious that Jesus said, here are some litmus tests, and here, 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 here's what it looks like. Here's, here's what it's supposed to be. And when you see like just so few people really making every effort to do it and maybe even see, you see some of your friends and your companions through the years that are dropping off. You know, because it's gotten hard and because maybe it's a little bit more challenging and then Jesus has to drop this narrow door stuff on us. How about this one? He lays this one out in John chapter 14 verse 6. I am, what's the next word? The way, not what? A way. I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life, not a life. No one comes to God except through me. Oh, great. I'm not sure, Jesus, that really fits our cultural profile right now. 
you know maybe that one flew back 2,000 years ago I'm gonna be branded as a narrow-minded bigoted Neanderthal my Facebook will light up like a Christmas tree I might not only not get a promotion I'm not sure what my tires are gonna look like when I walk out after work and then the Apostles they got it there's still a few 120 of them in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 where they get up and preach you know in the name of Jesus Christ right after Pentecost right after the resurrection and they say this is the stone the builders have rejected there is no other name except Jesus by which we must be saved would you call that narrow it's not narrow-minded if it's true but it is narrow is it hard for you to be in a faith that is kind of narrow? Not with love, not with service, not with appreciation, not with, with, with tolerance in the right sense of being kind to people, not necessarily agreeing with what they do or their behavior, but being kind and loving and patient with them. Uh, if you want to know the truth, for me, it's one of the hardest things for me. I'm actually kind of enthusiastic about life. I like working hard. Well, I didn't, I didn't like working hard before I became a Christian. God helped me with that. <laughs> I was a goof off. But the Holy Spirit's got me. So I enjoy working hard. I even have learned to enjoy singing. I've learned to enjoy hugging. Even other guys. In a certain kind of way. Kind of fraternal sort of way. Okay? I've even learned to enjoy church. Which I didn't growing up. Okay, I, I, I even get into sharing my faith, asking people probing questions. You know, I really do. I, I, I love being able to, to pray with my children and, you know, all these kinds of things. And what I don't like is that the Bible is so kind of narrow in what it says you need to do to be right with God. And, well, at least for sure, to be a true disciple and follower of Jesus. Aren't you glad God will handle all this once the time is... A hundred years from now, we got nothing to worry about. God takes care of everything, right? Believe me, you want God, not an Olympic judge, okay? Or any other judge assessing you, you know, in your life. You want a God, godly, compassionate, loving God looking at you and your family and everybody else a hundred thousand years from now, okay? Got that one. But it's very clear what a follower of Jesus is in the New Testament and according to Jesus here he says it's very clear you know what you got to do Americans we do not like this I mean it's actually in our DNA a little bit anybody remember Thomas Jefferson he was a real guy you know back 250 years ago or however long it was he was an impressive guy there's no doubt about it Thomas Jefferson in his post presidency something you may not know is he he kind of devoted himself to coming up with an accurate in his mind picture of Jesus he had the Bible he was a learned man he had copies he looked at it it was a lot of the principles that our country was generally founded on but he didn't like some of the things in it so what he did and he writes about this in his memoirs he used a razor to cut out the passages you know uh, in the Gospels and he would paste them into one coherent book so he went through and found the things that he liked and accepted and agreed with and he made his own book you ever done one of that made made one of your own like kind of little Bibles you know or study sheets and stuff like that and he called it the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth 
Now, Thomas left out the miracles. He left out any reference to angels and anything supernatural because he felt like it corrupted the original message of Jesus. And he told his buddy John Adams that uh, these stories were actually put in, you know, as, uh, you know, into the Bible to placate the Romans who love stories about uh, miracles about what their God did. So, in other words, what Jeff preached on last week about healing that woman who had been sick for, hey, that didn't happen. They were just, they were just writing on in, you know, a script. Uh, well, it, it, it did or it didn't, right? He was or he wasn't. You got to make your call on that. Thomas couldn't swallow that. And so that's what he did. And he never published the book. Didn't want to upset anybody. He wouldn't upset very many people today. But he didn't want to bug them then. He did, he said, for his own inspiration. What he did essentially, he put together a gospel composed of his own set of beliefs for himself and his own happiness. You ever been tempted to do that? Remind me a little bit of, there was the, uh, back years ago, there was a philosophy professor. And uh, he, uh, he was giving his final exam to his students. And he thought he'd be super clever. And so he decided, uh, the day of the final exam, he took a chair and he put it on top of his desk. And he said, okay, I want you to take everything you've learned in this class and I want you to convince me with this final exam paper that this chair does not exist. Dave and Deb, great to have you here. Your daughter's here at Georgia Tech. Can you believe you're actually paying for your daughter to go to classes like this? You know? But he, he was quite clever. Here's what, here's what actually happened. Most of the students wrote feverishly for about an hour. I mean, they were pulling out everything. You know, their notes and the, 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 uh, the uh, publications that they read, etc. Some of them it did as much as 20 pages. One student turned in a paper after less than a minute, and she was the only person to get an A. And on her final exam were simply two words. What chair? the easiest answer. It gets you off the hook. <laughs> kind of like, what is truth? Easy, easy question. It gets you off the hook. And that is how many of us were cultured and brought up in this country, this post-Christian country that we're a part of here is it's, it's all relative. It's how you see it. Read the Bible, pick out what you like, don't worry about the rest, cafeteria style. You know, follow your own heart. Follow your own feelings. What you believe is just as valid as what anybody else, you know, feels. You know, it's, uh, it's narrow-minded to believe in any other way. Narrow-minded. We, we've mentioned this, Sherwin. Hope you're doing well. Glad the surgery went well. Uh, did you want like a broad-minded surgeon the other day? I don't know. Just give me one of those things. Let's slice and dice. Hey, you want a broad? You, you want a narrow-minded surgeon? How about your pharmacist? 
I don't know, grab some of this, that, just throw it on in there. <laughs> Seriously. You want, you, you, you want a broad-minded accountant? Seriously. No, you don't. There are some things we want to give absolute careful attention to. If somebody's operating on your kid, you want somebody who is absolutely focused. They know what they're doing. They believe it. It's solid, you know, and uh, it's, uh, I'll use another metaphor here, okay? Anybody, uh, anybody here ever go skydiving? I can confidently say no for me, and it ain't happening on this life, okay? <laughs> that's, that's my decision. You got yours. Not in the Bible saying it either way, so we got broad choices once it gets outside the Bible. But, you know, for the crazy people and my friends that have told me about it, that it's an exciting experience, but you, number two, better follow some basic rules. You don't curl up in the fetal position or you'll slip out of the harness, dough. I was going to say dodo, that's an old word for dodo extinct bird, which means you're kind of dumb, but I'm going to pass on that, okay? You don't curl up in the fetal position. You arch your back and hold your arms out, so again, you don't slip out of the harness, and also so you can direct yourself. Thirdly, and most, you know, well, uh, you know, importantly, you do exactly what the instructor says. And then it's a good thing to put your feet down because it's, you know, you kind of self-explanatory. You like land on your feet, not on your head. These things are fairly absolute. They're not negotiable. Now, you could go to another skydiving experience. When you arrive for the smiling instructor of the, uh, the truth is relative skydiving school, you know, you get a parachute on your back, you walk to the plane idling, you know, just out outside on the tarmac, and they let you know, you know, there are many ways to get down to the ground. <laughs> we respect everybody's opinion about this. We don't believe in absolute rules. Just listen to your inner voice and respond honestly to your feelings. And have a memorable experience. We'll see you when you get down. Nobody's getting on that plane because we know we know. How about our soul? How about what we're building our families on? How about our life? How about our happiness? How about our legacy? How about our relationship with God? Here's what Jesus said as we're getting ready into the home stretch. He used the word... When they ask him, are only a few people going to be saved? He said, strive, make every effort to enter through what? Narrow door. Who said that? Him or us? Him. So he says, make every effort to get through the narrow door. You can get in. You can get in. But you got to pay attention. It's not broad and easy. It's narrow, so you got to pay attention and follow Christ right through. And it's the Greek word uh, agonizomai. Agonizomai. You know, we get, we get a word from that, right? You know what it is. Agonize. I'm agonizing, you know, over something. That's not, that's not how the word was primarily used in the biblical days and certainly not in the Bible. The biblical language is actually agonizomai is a technical term for athletics. It, it, it has to do with competing. And 
it actually is even used in the New Testament for hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so it's, it's also a word that can be translated to fight. To engage in a fight is to agonizomai. Remember when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would agonizomai. Sounds like a samurai a little bit, doesn't it? They would fight. Jesus says, you want to go to heaven? You want to be a part of the few that make it? He said, you got to strive. You got to make every effort. You got to compete. You got to go after it. Okay? And give it your top priority and your focus. You remember it's the same word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 12. It's a fight. 2 Timothy 4, 12. It's a fight. We're talking about serious competition. The word in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 21 when we're talking about the games. He says we, we're in there to compete and I'm fighting. I'm, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm in there in the ring. Okay? And I'm fighting and here's the thing. This is a beautiful thing. We've seen the Olympics, right? We know what it's like when we see somebody competing. When they're fighting, when they're giving it everything they got, and what are they doing it for? $660 worth of gold and some, some, some colored ribbons. That's it. Once the smoke clears. How hard would they be fighting if it was like Hunger Games style? For your life. What about for your soul? I'm, I, you know, hey, talking to me, talking to each one of you, for your soul. We're talking about your eternal destiny. Right. You're not going to be here another 50, 60 years probably. Your eternal destiny. As well as your life and your happiness and your joy and your legacy and blessing. You know, how about it? You willing to get in there and compete? Who are you competing with? Now here is the good news. There's not only one winner. Everybody can make it. Everybody, because you're competing against who? The man in the mirror. You're competing against yourself. You're competing the other stuff that floats around in our head and in our hearts. And yes, we can do this. We can give it our best. Is that clear enough imagery for us? We got to fight. A few will be saved. Many will weep, but we can all make it. We can all make it. As long as we, as long as we fight. And don't you, aren't you grateful guys right now for teammates that pick us up? Aren't you grateful for trainers that coach us? Aren't you, aren't you grateful for encouragers that cheer us on? You can make it, you can make it, you can make it. As a church we have this same ministry that Jesus had. To be able to reach out and to help people become part of the few. You know, not just of the many. Jesus and I, you know, this is, this, we'll talk about this in other weeks. Jesus did give invitations to people just like you hear on TV, on YouTube, on podcasts, in churches. Uh, you, and you know, he, you hear people say, okay, if you want to be saved, if you want to be right with God, do X, Y, and Z. And many times it's ask, say this prayer, ask God to come into your life and receive him. And it's something along that line. I just would like you to, how about just read the Bible? Did Jesus say that? Did he ever say that? And if not, what did he say? Is that fair? Let's look at it for ourselves. But uh, I think you got a clear view on this that that is not how Jesus invited people to, to follow him. Okay, let's just, uh, let's close it out. Number, <laughs> okay, if you keep on reading, I'm going to go fast here. He does say, 
he uses this example that uh, you know you got to do this because there are going to be many people weeping and gnashing their teeth. Do you see that right there in your opening? That's not a positive thing. It's not because UGA lost to Tennessee. It has nothing to do with that. It's, it's gnashing and that's anger because you're probably angry at yourself because I blew it. I had every opportunity. It's weeping because of regret because you had all of these opportunities and you fully didn't take advantage of them. That's what Jesus said is going to happen to those who don't follow his counsel and his example of striving to enter through that narrow door. But lastly, let's close out here. Number three, okay, let's go back and take a look at that example of the fig tree. Okay, because number three, God is the God of the, our God that we're going to sing about in just, in just a minute. And, uh, you know, the worship team can come up here anytime they want to, okay? Okay, shortens me up a little bit, okay? Our God, he is alive, okay? We're going to sing that. Let's talk about our God as they come up here, okay? Our God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, and the fourth chance. Amen? That's what the parable is about. He's coming back year after year and there's no fruit. And then, and, and, and then who is Jesus? He's the gardener. Amen. He's the one who comes back. No, no, don't cut it down. Listen, I'm going to work on it a little bit more. I'm going to fertilize it a little bit. going to dig around it. Okay, I, I, I know they can do it. They're stink, it's stinking up the joint. There's no fruit right now. But, but, but we can do it. No, no, give, it, give me some more time. Are you not totally, completely happy about that? 2 Peter chapter 3, God doesn't want anybody to perish. And he's, he's, he's waiting even for the return of Christ so that nobody would perish. Repentance, it is not a nasty word. It's not a harsh word. It's not a judgmental word. It's being able to take a look in the mirror and just head off in a new direction. Inspired by God's grace. Repentance is not a threat. When Jesus says repent or you will also perish. It's not a threat. It's a reality. And it's this great opportunity to be liberated. And to be free. And to be able to grow. And to be everything God meant us to be. But we got to start striving. Okay. Let's take some steps this week. Right. Wherever we are. Let's start striving a little bit more. Okay. Let's hang around some other people. That are making every effort. And giving everything that they can. Repentance. It is amazing good news. Chapter 13 of the book of Luke is good news. And it's not just that Jesus was nice to a woman who'd been suffering for 18 years. It's not just that. It's that he offers us this opportunity to be very clear about what life is about, what choices are about, and to be able to let us know you can be a part of that few, but you got to strive. I'm, uh, I'm going to make a change for once in my life. It's going to feel real good gonna make a change. Oh, gonna make a difference. Gonna make it right. Jeff, I need you up here. Wherever you are, man, dude, this is not working. And I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could be any clearer. Take a look at yourself. And make a change. You want to make the world a better place? Take a look at yourself and make a change. Nope, it's not just Donald Trump that needs to make a change. It's not just Hillary Clinton that tonight needs to make a change or Vladimir Putin that needs to make a change. How about it, guys? How about me and you? We make that change 
And our families and our church and our community get so much better for it. Our God, thank you God for being the God of the second, third, and fourth chances. Thank you for the beautiful picture you paint of Jesus' love, a God and, and, a, and a Savior of compassion and mercy. That's why you tell us all of this in advance. You didn't just send a hellfire sermon to us and, and you didn't just send a threat. You sent us your son to die on a cross for us, to show us how to live. You sent your spirit inside of us to give us strength and to help us. You've sent your people to support us, your words to sustain us. Yes, God, you are an awesome God. And as we stand up and as we sing together, we are in a firm again. Our God, you are alive and we love you and we're going to strive to be our best for you. Amen.